0: This is uh, Paul Schneiderman today on the 127th edition of the Sports Untold podcast. I have a very special guest today, the current Seahawks quarterback coach, Greg Olson. I have a new assistant, Olivia Coyne, and producer. Olivia's been helping me now. She's a student at University Olivia Washington. Olivia's doing a great job. Uh, my podcast is now on Spotify, Amazon, Google, iTunes, Podbeam. You can also go to sportsuntoldpodcast.net Um Anyhow, I want to get back to you now, Greg. Greg Olson is someone I've had a chance to get to know a little bit this year. Greg is a Richland, Washington native, Spokane Falls community college quarterback, also played at Central Washington University. Greg coached at Central. He was a WSU graduate assistant, a quarterback coach at Purdue, where he coached uh, Drew Brees at one time. Uh, Greg began his NFL coaching career in 2001 as a 49ers quarterback coach. He now has 13 years of Total experience as an offensive coordinator. He's worked for the Lions, the Rams, the Buccaneers, the Raiders, the Jaguars, the Raiders again. And now he's with the uh, the Seahawks as their quarterback coach. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for coming on the 127th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio.
1: Thanks for having me, Paul. It's good to, good to be with you. Although I will have to say, uh, you throw out uh, Drew Brees, but probably the most famous quarterback that got me on the road was John Kidna who's a Washington uh, native and uh, played at central Washington and had the opportunity to recruit and coach John. And really that he's the guy that put me on the map.
0: Yeah. I'm going to ask you about your work with John Kitna. Thank you for reminding me of that. And we got a lot of questions to the audience today, Greg, you've been very generous of your time. We'll try to get you out of here about uh, 45 minutes. Greg, you grew up in the tri cities area Richland and you're still very much a influenced by your tri cities ties. i met a couple of your friends from that, from that area. Um, Just tell us a little about your influences growing up, your parents and people in your community and so forth.
1: Yeah, I was real fortunate. You know, I think uh, I came from a two-parent household and I had five siblings. Um, There were two brothers and three sisters, but uh, both my mom and dad were teachers, educators. Uh, My dad was my hero from a very uh, young age. He introduced me to sports. Uh, I played uh, baseball. I wrestled and I played football at, at, at Richland. And he also introduced me to a lot of uh, my uh, activities outside of athletics, the uh, hunting and fishing I was able to uh, jump into that as a, as a teenager in Eastern Washington. So, and, and I still have a great passion for fishing today. So I really think about, uh, you know, there's no bigger hero in my life than my dad, who unfortunately passed away uh, six years ago, but, um, you know, he was just a hero and bigger than life. And again, uh, I can remember so many times when I was in uh, grade school, going up to the high school and waiting for him to finish with wrestling practice or football practice and uh, riding home with him every day. So all, all I ever wanted to be in my life was my dad. I thought if I could just I'd be my dad, I'd be a happy man. Uh, and so he really had a huge influence on me uh, growing up and, and again in the whole sports world and uh, very fortunate that way and fortunate to have a, a very supportive mother as well who's still alive. Uh, both my parents were, uh, Western Washington, uh, natives. My mom grew up in Bellevue and my dad grew up in, in a dairy farm in Monroe. So we got to, you know, and I was from the tri city. So we would swing over in the summer times and we would work the farm in Monroe and bale hay and uh, work on the farm. And then my mom, my mother's parents owned a bakery in Bellevue. Uh, so we spent, uh, half the summers in Bellevue and half the summers in Monroe. So really fortunate to have the upbringing that i did and two great very supportive parents and again both of them were educators so education was real important in the family so i was real lucky that way
0: great upbringing i'm going to share a little secret the listeners greg just got off the phone with his mother right before this podcast started so so. (laughs) yeah i did and she
1: reminded me that she was a a seafare princess back in 1951 i think it was the second year of seafare uh when they were running the hydroplane races and uh so she was part of that whole seafair celebration. So very uh, proud Bellevue native.
0: Love it. Love it. My mother was on the seafarer court too at one time. So nice. Love it. Love it. Greg, you know, you, you played community college football at Spokane Falls. and You played at Central Washington. Was there any point, Greg, in your college football career where you thought you were going to become a longtime NFL assistant? Did you, did you see it coming earlier in your uh, college football career?
1: And now, as I told you, Paul, all I ever wanted to do was follow my dad's footsteps. I I, I kind of, when I got to Central Washington, I, you know, I was, again, I was surrounded by great coaches all the way through my whole experience in the state of Washington, from high school to, you know, my high school coach, J.D. Covington, and I, he had a sister named Lonnie Pearson, who took over when J.D. retired. We had a real successful program. My senior year, we lost in the semifinals in Mount Tahoma. We ended up winning the state championship in 1981 and the next year Richland won it, the class behind us. But I went from, from Richland High School to Spokane Falls and played for, underneath a guy named Bob Everson uh, and uh, he was very influential in my career as well because uh, he had, he uh, brought me back to coach at, at Spokane Falls and said if you come back I can get you a graduate assistantship at Washington State or Oregon or or Wyoming. His son at the time was working at Wyoming so he was very influential and then i went from from spokane falls to central washington and i played for tom perry and mike dunbar two real successful coaches at central and we had some successful teams there at central so once i went to college route I, I really enjoyed being around those coaches uh, uh, bob everson and and tom perry and and mike dunbar and, and uh, they really kind of also put the bug in my ear about possibly pursuing college football so uh, I was able to do that um, uh, from 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 after coaching at Spokane, or I actually coached one year at Central after I was done playing. Then I went to Spokane Falls and coached for a year, and then I was fortunate that uh, Bob Everson's son, Tom Everson, was an assistant for Dennis Erickson, and Dennis had just gotten a Washington State uh, University job, and so um, they were able to bring me on as a grad assistant there. So I was real fortunate – probably the biggest break of my life was going to Washington State cuz Dennis Erickson had brought that spread offense it was it was new it was on the cutting edge of college football he was a cutting edge t- coach and uh kind of took the Pac-10 by storm a little bit and people were had not seen that offense and uh, so we were ahead of the curve a little bit offensively and and that had a huge influence and uh, impact on me and and my coaching philosophy and offensive philosophy so uh, real fortunate to be around two great minds and, and Dennis Erickson and Mike Price, uh, you know, who who kind of were the pioneers in, in in that spread offense that uh, in terms of, you know, being on the West Coast and, you know, both of them were able to, you know, really parlay that into two big time jobs in University of Miami and, and University of Alabama. So I was lucky. I, was, I just feel fortunate. I pinched myself every day that I was fortunate enough to go to Washington State with with both of those guys
0: sort of catapult your career going to washington state and coaching and uh, what, what a journey you had you know there's a lot of questions i've got from listeners today i i put up a, a social media announcement for a lot of my interviews and i i like to get feedback from from listeners and i guess my podcast is a little different than some other podcasts that way and uh one question i got was really interesting it's from george carlin he's about probably your age greg maybe a little older. he's a local local little league coach in Northeast Seattle. And I remember George growing up and George has a really interesting question. Uh, he's interested in knowing what you believe is the greatest growth in a quarterback. Is it from junior high to high school, from high school to college or from college NFL and why? Uh,
1: that's a great question. I, you know, to me and again, um, it, it, the most difficult probably transition is from call the most difficult Transition would probably be from college to the NFL, but the most well, where I think you see the most growth is from high school into college. And, um, you know, it, it's just so hard, uh, you know, I, again, uh, I coached college for 15 years before I got in the NFL, but it's just so hard really to look at a 17 year old and even a 16 year old sometimes you're, you're offering kids that are 16 or 17 and project the growth and project the development of those kids because there's such a big difference between a 16 year old and a incoming freshman or a 17 year old incoming freshman and a 22 year old senior in college. So uh, I think it's really difficult really at, at not only just a quarterback, but at every position really to project the, the uh, how a kid's going to be able to develop it at, at the collegiate level. And you'd like to think there'd be less mistakes going from college, to the NFL in terms of evaluating a player, but there's not, and, uh, it's hard to pinpoint, uh, really, the how uh, a, a super successful college kid. What are the reasons why he doesn't succeed in the NFL? And certainly, there are a lot of distractions and a lot of reasons for it. But just in terms of seeing a growth in a quarterback, I, I would say uh, having coached at both levels, that uh, trying to predict a kid's success from high school to college is much more difficult, and and just because there's so much still left, there's still growth, they're still growing both mentally and physically it's just a big growth process there first time away from home for a lot of them so it's through a real transition
0: what what an interesting what an interesting response to George's question um another question I got is from uh, Lydia's dad Ben Coyne is old, one of my oldest friends and Ben's a school teacher uh Ben has a question whether as a quarterback coach do you find managing egos be a big part of your job as a quarterbacks coach?
1: Oh, in the NFL for sure. And I'm sure right now in college with the NIL, uh, and players getting paid now in college, that, that's a huge part of it. And, uh, that's, that's a part of the reason why I think a lot of college coaches don't, uh, some don't enjoy the NFL is that th- that's part of the job is managing those egos and, and understand that you're now working with adults and, and, uh, different mindset. they There's a different place in their life. And, uh, you know, they still, I think still think every player wants to be coached and they still want to have help and they still want discipline in their life. It's just, uh, you're approaching a little bit differently because you're dealing with a a much older, uh, much older athlete and an athlete, uh, that quite honestly is making more than most of the coaches. When you're coaching a quarterback position, they're making more than most of the coaches on the staff. So, uh, managing ego is a big part of it, but I don't think it's, it's the biggest part. And again, um, I think my my first year in the league and coaching with the San Francisco 49ers, Jeff Garcia at that time was the highest paid quarterback in the league. And I'll never forget, he approached me knowing I was a first year NFL quarterback coach and said, hey, I want you to coach me like you coached Drew Brees. Coach me like I'm a college kid. You can be hard on me. And uh, I think it'll it'll make me better. So, uh, And that's really, for, most of, for the most part, a lot of people think these guys are spoiled athletes. But they, for the most part, they're not. Um, they all want to be coached and they all want to get better.
0: What a story. Jeff Garcia just told you to be tough on him. That that's uh
1: Yeah. yeah. And he's a he was a tough guy too. So but it was a what, neat experience.
0: What did you what were some things you did when you worked with John Kitna? He ended up having a successful career. Why don't you share a couple things, listeners, that you did when you worked with John Kitna?
1: Well, I think the again, the biggest thing, uh he was fortunate that um he fell into that. Uh, beginnings of the spread offense. I would brought, I had been at Washington State with both uh, Dennis Erickson and Price, as I said, and we'd had Tim Rosenbaugh who was the number one pick in the uh, supplemental draft at that time, and we had just recruited Drew Bledsoe, to Washington State when I left, uh, but I was part of that recruiting process with Drew. So, uh, but we, I, I had obviously studied under those those two head coaches and and uh, had learned the one back spread offense. So I brought that to Central Washington and. And with Mike Dunbar, and uh, he agreed to let me implement the offense as the offensive coordinator, and that also happened to be the same season that John came in as a freshman. So uh, he was able to be in on the front end as a quarterback uh, in that offense and and he threw for a lot of yards at the time. I think when he graduated, I think he may have been the number two all-time quarterback in all of college football at any any level, Division NAI division two division one a uh I think he was a second all-time leading passing uh passer in the history of college football at that point now I think he's probably he's dropped down below because everyone's been throwing it now but uh in the early nineties, he, he had led the nation and led the country. So, and again, led all of college football. So he benefited from that very smart guy. He was a math major, super uh, intellectual, but also he came in weighing 160 pounds and left at probably 215. So he put on a lot of good weight. He worked really hard to get where he was at. Um, uh, He could throw the ball very, very well. Great athlete, great basketball player, baseball. He could do it all. Um, he was a fun guy to coach, but, um, you know, he worked hard at it. And, and uh, again, he benefited from that spread offense.
0: Greg, I think when I saw you recently, I mentioned it, it always fascinated me and many fans that John Kitna was teaching high school math and got called to be an NFL quarterback. It's quite a story, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a great story. And that's a, you know, thankfully, he was fortunate again, uh, the Dennis Erickson connection, uh, being a Washington guy and Dennis getting the Seahawks job got him, got him a foot in the door into the NFL, but also what helped him a lot was, was the world football league. And that's, that's, a, you know, unfortunate for a lot of good college football players that are playing today that there's not leagues like that. I, I know certainly the USFL is playing right now. and We've seen some arena football leagues take shape, but um, that was a legitimate league, the world football league, and a lot of good quarterbacks got their starts over there, especially for quarterbacks. The chance to develop because you know at this level right now you know the backups don't get a lot of reps in practice or in the springtime and, and it's difficult to to develop as a backup in the NFL right now because they've cut back so much on practice times and the amount of times you can spend with these players so uh he was fortunate that he got a chance got an opportunity in a in a in the world league and took the made the most of that opportunity became a great player in the world league and and turned it into a great, great career in the NFL. So, real happy for him.
0: Greg, what one listener uh, had a question about. If you have any thoughts on the uh, that old school Central Washington versus Eastern Washington rivalry, do you have any memories <laughs> of that?
1: So that was before me. They, we were NAI when I was there. So Eastern had already jumped up to one double A, but okay, uh, we played them. Um, my, my actually my senior year, we played nineteen eighty four. Uh, played Eastern Washington, we gotten beat, but uh, two great uh, really. Great, great programs in their own right, both of them, very successful, both Central and Eastern, uh, have had a lot of success. So it's great. says a lot about the state of uh, high school football in the state of Washington.
0: Greg, you know, you have two kids who are now NCAA athletes, and you have the unique background of being a college athlete yourself and coaching college football and coach NFL. You obviously have so much more knowledge about the whole process a lot of other parents have. What what general advice do you give to parents who don't have like the knowledge base that your family has about how to handle the recruiting process and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, just any general tips you can share with people?
1: Yeah, you know, I I wish there, there were more at, at the high school level more uh resources there for parents to go to, but the you know, the best advice I would say is to is to communicate with the coaches at whatever sport your your son or daughter is playing is uh, do your best to communicate with the coaches and on when they should be taking the SAT or ACT tests, and when, when, at what time of the year those tests are, and how many can whether or not they should be going to camps, and and which camps are the better camps uh, around the state or around the nation. But the, I think you can get a lot of information uh, from the high school coaches themselves, and it's just a matter of communication uh, with those coaches.
0: Just I was fortunate, like you
1: know. I was fortunate. I married my wife was a coach as well as you my wife was a coach at. Uh, uh, she was a, a high jumper at Washington State, and uh, and she was a real successful collegiate uh, track coach. So it helped for obviously for my kids, uh, you know, they had built in parents that had done had been the college coaches. So that that certainly gave them a leg up.
0: Exactly. Just for it just seems like the whole process is really overwhelming for a lot of families, and uh, I'm glad you gave some general feedback on that well um i've asked these two questions about every guest last couple years i'm going to pick your brand these two questions these are two of my favorite questions i get the best answers uh the first question is who's a deceased sports person history you would have loved to spend some time with and who is a living sports figure greg could be a manager coach player you would love to uh interview or spend some time with
1: well i i'm going to go with again and i think uh you know, I just Kobe Bryant. From what I've, you know, what I still look at uh, YouTube's and the and some of the um, interviews that he's had, I think he's fascinating. And uh, he would have been the certainly a deceased athlete, uh, obviously younger than 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 I. But um, I, I really think that guy was a special, special guy. He would have been really neat for me to. Um, I've interviewed or sat down with and, and had a deep discussion with, I think that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. And gosh, living, uh, athlete, that's a Maybe good sure. one there as well. Um, cause I've actually sat there, you know, I've had conversations with a lot of them, but you know, one guy I haven't had a conversation with that I've been in the league the same amount of time as he has obviously he came in, Uh, It's around the time that Breeze and I came in would be Tom Brady. I think Tom Brady would be an interesting guy to sit down with. Me being a quarterback coach and an offensive coordinator, uh, I've certainly met Tom, but I've never really spent any time visiting with him, but I think he would be a, a good one to sit down with.
0: Great answers. Another guest mentioned Kobe as a deceased athlete. He would have loved to spend time with you. are The first one to mention uh, Tom Brady to the living athlete question. So I yeah. can add, uh, add that name. What a great name to add, Greg. Um, what was your, what was your, your, probably your favorite NFL season you've been working the league since 2001. What, what season really stood out for you?
1: I think the first one, just because uh very successful season, we were 12 and four, Uh, I really enjoyed working for Steve Mariucci, uh, for me growing up, uh, the Seahawks, obviously I, uh, you know, I'm a little older, so the Seahawks did not have a franchise when I was growing up. So my favorite team growing up was the San Francisco 49ers and I was a big John Brody, Gene Washington, Vic Washington, uh, Dwayne Board, a lot of the old time 49er names. Um, I grew up watching and, uh, I got the opportunity to coach there. My first job in the NFL was with the 49ers, and you know, the first days I was there, I got to meet Bill Walsh and uh, Tom Rathman was the running back coach at the time. So uh, it was just really uh, a great experience for me that first year. Uh, again, with Steve Mariucci and uh, the coaching staff and the Jeff Garcia, who uh, became a very close friend, a good friend of mine to still t- today, uh, just uh, – Rick Meyer was a backup, and he's still a good friend of mine to this day. So, just had a great relationship with the coaching staff and those players, and it was uh, again my first experience coaching in the NFL, and it's it's one I'll never forget. Two
0: thousand one, that was the year of nine eleven too. There were a lot. There was a lot going on. That was nine
1: eleven. Yeah, yeah. a lot of yeah. That was a difficult, certainly a difficult season. Uh, and we were the first game we played. We were the first game to play in New York after nine eleven. We played a. Monday night game against the Giants uh, first game back in New York. So there's certainly a lot of security and uh, it was uh, a number that I, I was, unfortunately, I didn't get to go down to ground zero, but a number of the players and coaches were able to go down there and, and uh, visit the site.
0: So that first year was probably the most, most memorable one as an NFL coach. Interesting, interesting answer. Greg, who's a player. I know there's so many you worked with who is a player who maybe isn't the greatest player ever but someone he really enjoyed working with and watching improve. Who was the one that stood out that way?
1: Uh, I, you you can't do that to me because there's so many of them that I have such fond memories of and I enjoy, so, you know, every one of them is different. I always tell players, I don't like to compare players. People, people always ask me to compare, compare this guy to someone else or compare this player to this. They're all unique in their own way. They all have special talents, special character uh, traits, traits. Uh, but I've I've enjoyed you know again I pinch myself every day I'm doing something that I love it's a childhood uh, sport to me but um, I I still every day uh, the, the the guys that I've worked with have, have been phenomenal in terms of the uh, character and attitude and uh, work ethic that they brought so I've really enjoyed a lot of different players I I really couldn't single out many but I've enjoyed uh, all of them and again. You know, I've certainly coached someone like Drew Brees, who was one of the best to ever play the game. But I, I enjoyed coaching him at Division One, a Purdue uh, every bit as much as I enjoyed coaching Bo Baldwin, who was John Kitten's backup at Central and ended up uh, going on to be, have a successful college career coaching at, at Eastern Washington. And, uh, you know, he's now – the offensive coordinator at arizona state university but he was a you know i enjoyed coaching him every bit as much as i've enjoyed coaching these nfl players
0: love it love it greg let me back up for a second just about the whole college selection process you know you you rose or you became an offensive coordinator an nfl coach many years and you attended a community college in central washington you went more of the small college route what advice do you give To a lot of football players do you recommend that that a lot of football players try the small college route
1: you know i just wanted to play i just again i had a real passion for the sport i wasn't sure if i was good enough to be honest with you i didn't get offered a scholarship i broke my hand my first game of my senior year my throwing hand so i was unable to play i was able to come back for the playoffs again i told you we we'd lost them out to so i didn't get any scholarship opportunities and i knew i wanted to play so i I chose the junior college route. Well, I I, I broke my ankle uh, my freshman year at Spokane Falls. and was able to play my sophomore year, but I didn't get any scholarships, opportunities leaving Spokane Falls. So I knew I wanted to play. I wasn't sure if I'd be happy as a backup. I played at Central. I enjoyed my opportunities there. Uh, I think it's a little more difficult maybe to get into coaching at the division one, a level or the professional level, going that route. It's harder. There's not as many connections uh, that you can make. I don't, you know, in my belief, um, it, it'd be easier. I think for a kid to to try to go the division one, a route and, and uh, go that direction to get to at least coach at a higher level. But, you know, I, I say that sitting here, you know, as now a 22 year coaching veteran in the NFL, but I, Probably it was a little more difficult route than than others have taken. Uh, that's why I said I feel very fortunate and kind of pinch myself every day that I am where I'm at. So a lot of things Thank had to line for me, and uh, I had a lot of good people around me that helped me. Uh, again, starting with the coaches that I played for and and coach with, and certainly having again some of the players like John Kitna, you know that 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 certainly I owe a lot to.
0: Uh, favorite sports movie.
1: <laughs> favorite sports movie uh remember the titans is a pretty good one
0: good choice good choice uh a friend of mine dean nielsen he's a football fan he had a question for you he was curious to get your take on the 2023 nfl draft and how there were five prominent college quarterbacks being profiled but i think his specific question is any comments on why will levis from kentucky dropped to number 33 any thoughts on maybe why levis dropped a bit dean was just curious about that
1: yeah like i said you know i think uh everybody has their own take on on all of those guys and it's that way every year you know and, and you know i've been studying this draft as, as at the quarterback position for actually over 30 years uh i've been really interested and intrigued by the draft and uh and over a 30 year study that i've done it's like only 30 percent really of those guys ever make it in it in in the first round i'm talking about first round picks only 30% really are hits and it's less than 15% with the other rounds. So, uh, there's no guaranteed success for anybody. I, I, I why he slipped, I don't know. We were, you know, certainly we had to interest We were had interest in all of those guys, you know, we went and visited all of them, but, um, everyone's got their own flavor that they like. And, and, uh, you know, he slipped and we'll find out if, if people were right or wrong on him, but you really won't know for three or four years. So
0: like picking a stock in a lot of ways. Greg, uh, just a question for the draft. I may ask you this question when we talk before, but I, another question from the audience is, who has the final say in a draft pick? The coach, general manager, owner? Who, who has the final say?
1: You know, it's been different. I, again, I've been on, shoot, I don't know, nine or ten teams now uh, in the league. Uh, some I had three stints with the Rams, uh, two with the Raiders, two with the Jaguars, but at every place, has been different. You know, the uh, delegation of power, I guess. You know, I think it's, a for the most part, it's a collaboration between the general manager and the head coach. Been very few teams where the owner, uh, you know, has has also been involved in it. I know the Raiders with the Al Davis days, he was very involved in the draft. Uh, so there's, depending upon who the owner is, I'm sure Jerry Jones is very involved in the draft and, and the choices. So it kind of depends on the franchise, but I think for the most part, it's Pretty much a collaboration between the head coach and the general manager.
0: As a fan, I can see Jerry Jones wanting to have his influence. In his well, head I'm head
1: sure head. <laughs> you can see Al Davis too.
0: Right, right, right. Leg-
1: his stories are legendary,
0: right, right. You, you work for the Raiders. Um, Greg, you know, you're working with the Seahawks quarterbacks right now. Um, Geno and Drew Locke, and this new quarterback is a Holton Allers, the new, new I think he's gonna yeah. be the third. But about Gino, what, what can you share about Gino that maybe the fans don't know? Do you have any interesting tidbits about Gino that maybe the fans will find interesting? You obviously work with him every day and stuff. You know?
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's anything that they don't know. I just know that uh, his impeccable character and work ethic, his practice habits uh, are phenomenal. He's uh, he's very well read. You know, uh, he's passionate about the position, which I think is very important. You know, it's a, Certainly... Be passionate about playing the sport, but he's passionate about the quarterback position, uh, which is, I think, part of the reason why he's been able to play as long as he has in the ways he excelled last season with the second opportunity. It's because he didn't take he doesn't take the position lightly and the responsibilities of the position lightly. So uh, I think the fans can should feel good knowing that they have a responsible respected leader on the football team that uh, is, is a tremendous person and a, got tremendous work ethic.
0: Any insights you have on our two backups right now?
1: Drew Locke and Holton. Yeah. Uh, as the quarterbacks, uh, you know, they, it's hard right now because they don't get a lot of reps. Dino's not giving up a lot of reps this time of year. So, uh, But those two guys, again, uh, they're certainly uh, competing. As uh, Coach Carroll would say, competition is everything. Uh, so they, they're not necessarily taking a back seat to Geno's. They're pushing him as competitors. They're just not getting the repetitions uh, that Geno's getting right now. But they're both, again, stellar character guys and uh, been a pleasure to work with for me in the last three months that I've been here.
0: Love it. Can I get like two more questions in, Gray? And I'll let you go. Is that okay? Sure. Great. Um, I I hear a rumor that Pete Carroll can hoop it up.
1: He's a good, hoop. <laughs> those rumors are true. He can still hoop it up. I think, uh, yeah, that was one of the, uh, uh most enjoyable things. I, I tell my, my kids, I was leaving work one day and I looked in the indoor and they had a little, they have a basketball court set up in there. They've taken it down now that we've started the OTAs, but they had a basketball. We, we would play in there po- post work or lunch hoops. But, um, I was leaving one day late, it was late, it was probably 6.30 at night, 7 o'clock here in the off season, and uh, he was out there by himself, uh, shooting hoops and chasing the ball down, and uh, all by himself, and the lights were off, it was almost dark, and I th- I was so impressed with that, I immediately called my wife and kids and said, gosh, this guy is, is uh, you know, for him to be out there uh, by himself, again, as a workout at the end of the day, winding down, I was impressive, but yeah, he's got a good jump shot. Uh, he's played, he's plays a little dirty defense. He's been known to step on my foot or grab my shorts, but, uh, he's a hell of a player.
0: 72 year old guy about it. it's It's quite, quite a story. Greg, uh, I guess I have two more questions. I'll let you go. Uh, you feel good about 2023 Hawks? You, you think things are looking pretty good? I feel when great. I,
1: Obviously, you know, they, uh, They exceeded expectations, I think, uh, probably uh, exceeded expectations from everyone but themselves. I'm sure in this building, uh, Pete set the bar very high uh, and the players come through. And uh, I think the loss, obviously, of Russell Wilson uh, left a lot of question marks last season, but hopefully Gino answered those questions. And uh, it's always – every year is different. It's certainly a a process. Um, But I think that, obviously, between um, our general manager and, and, and Pete, I think that, you know, those two guys have been together a long time. So uh, got trust in them. And uh, again, we've got good turnout right now for the OTAs. We've had a lot of, a lot of guys here working hard and uh, that's been good. So, you know, I think we set the bar high and, and most people when you set high standards, most people achieve those high standards. So, we're gonna set that standard high for this team and and hopefully we'll meet that standard.
0: Well, I'm excited for the 23 Hawks season. Very excited. Greg, this was my final question. This has been so much fun. I really enjoy this. Um, when you watch a football game, you work in football, you played football, I mean you're in the football business. What do you, what do you think you see in games that the average fan is maybe missing?
1: Uh, you know, for me, uh Fortunately or unfortunately, you're always trying to diagnose situational football and think about decisions that you would make uh, and, and and looking at different plays and and different blitzes. I always try to, you know, watch the pressures and third downs and things defensively and uh, trying to and always trying to analyze the game, I guess. And that's part of it. And I don't know if that changes. You know, I told you that uh, I don't how I got here. You know, again, I had a lot of things that went my way to get to this level. But I, again, I I would have coached high school football and I think been a real happy, happy man. You know, I, I met my dad before he died. I remember he had told my son, he said, you know, I, I never had a bad day, never had a bad day in my life as a teacher. And I thought, man, I don't know if I could say that even in what I'm doing. And I love what I do. But uh, he really enjoyed coaching the high school level and again he coached all different sports he coached women's softball and and i look at a number of guys that uh, you know i told you when i got out in uh when i was coaching at central and i coached at the university of idaho so i recruited this area the seattle area and you know and made a lot of great friendships i was really close to be honest with you until i got my break and going to the university of idaho i thought you know i'm gonna go Maybe I'll coach high school football. I'll go with Monty Kohler over at over, over at O'Day or Bob Lucy at Curtis and you know Jerry Parrish and Sid Ott and Terry Annis. There's a bunch of guys that were over here on the on the west side of the state. Mike Heward, you know, I think of all these guys, Tom Ingalls, Steve Jervis, there's Gig Harbor. I all Marty Osborne was a uh, teammate of mine at Central and he had a great career at Kent Ridge. So there are just so many different high school coaches that were that loved the sport and loved the game. And I would go and watch those games and recruit those players that they had. And, and uh, I en- really enjoyed that part. A lot of guys get out of college football because they don't enjoy the recruiting aspect of it. And I always told people that's not the reason why I got out. I, I kind of fell into the NFL, but I enjoyed recruiting uh, the high schools because my dad and my, I got an older brother and Mark, he was a, a high school uh, assistant football coach and, and uh, I enjoyed making those relationships with these coaches, uh, at high school coaches, because again, that's that's what I was going to be. So, uh, I guess I look. Do I look at these games? I look at them because I love seeing kids. I love seeing uh, the passion on high school kids. They're out there. They're playing because of the joy of the game, not because they're getting paid to play. They love the game, and and you can see that in high school football. And that's what's what's neat about high school football is that the kids are out there because they just love the sport. And, uh, you know, I've always loved that about, about watching high school football. So unfortunately I've become too much of a coach where I start watching too much of the X's and O's and the execution instead of just watching how much the enjoyment brings to those kids that are out there playing.
0: Great, Greg. Well, So much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the 127 edition of the Sports Untold Podcast. What a great uh, chat and I'll see you soon.
1: All right, Paul. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you, Greg. Enjoyed it very much. Thanks.
1: All right. Take care.
0: You too.